0: a lot of pressure today. I don't know if Brian feels it or if anybody else in the worship team feels it. but And you guys sang good, by the way. I don't know if I'm any kind of judge in that, um, but but you sounded good this morning singing to Jesus. But today's kind of like the Super Bowl of, of preaching is what I've been told. Uh, this week I was out in the community and a gentleman who i would never met before said, oh, you're a pastor? Well, good luck on Sunday. It's your Super Bowl. And I'm like, man, well, we're about to lose because if it's up to me, then we have no hope. But thankfully we have a risen Savior and that Savior is Jesus. And so, uh, so we're here to celebrate that today. Have you Ever celebrated Have you ever celebrated A friend's birthday I'm not talking about Like you know Like uh, Like you're like, not, not a family member But I'm talking about Just a friend uh, somebody that you've been friends with a long time, or maybe you're nine years old and you've only been friends with them for, for a year, but you, uh, you received an invitation to their birthday party. And so, uh, so it's Spider-Man themed, or maybe it's an adult party, so it's Star Wars themed, or something like that, whatever you choose. And, uh, you, uh, you, you, you put the date on the calendar because you, uh, you got this party to go to. And so you begin searching, uh, for what, uh, what present you would like to take to this person whose birthday it is, this friend of yours whose birthday it is, to celebrate their birthday. And uh, you buy the present, and then you wrap up the present, or at least you put it in a bag and put Kleenex on top of it to cover it up. And uh, you get ready for the party. And the day of the party uh, comes, and so you, uh, you dress up for it. You put on your party clothes, whatever that looks like. And uh, some of you uh, have different party clothes than I do, for sure. Uh, but you put your party clothes on, and you begin the journey to, uh, to the birthday celebration. And on the way to the birthday celebration, come on, tell, somebody tell me you're like me. You, you begin feeling like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I going to my friend's birthday party? Why am I going to go celebrate their party? Like, if anybody needs to be celebrated, it's me, right? I mean, come on, if we're going to be celebrating somebody's life, anybody a sinner like I am, like you would want just to celebrate yourself instead of, instead of your friend. So you, you're on your way to the, uh, to the birthday, and you have this feeling, this feeling of why am I celebrating somebody else's birth, you weren't even there when they were born, right? So it's like you weren't there for this moment, a momentous occasion, anyways. And so, so then even in that, you begin thinking, like, really, should we even be celebrating them at all? Like, did they have anything to do with their birth at all? So we're celebrating their accomplishment for really, what have they, what have they, in in all actuality, what have they really, what have they really done? But you show up anyways with that attitude. Call it good or bad, whatever you want to call it. And you then, as you're there at the party and you taste the punch or the chips or the nachos or whatever the case may be, you begin to even get worse of an attitude or a worser attitude for those of you who speak good English. And you decide that they better appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you showed up to their party. You came to their birthday party. You had plenty of other things that you could have been doing, like celebrating yourself, but instead for this Saturday afternoon or whatever day of the week it was, you decided to show up to their birthday party. You brought them a present. They better appreciate you. And even if you're a child, you begin to think about, they better have party favors. Like, I better get something out of this party other than cake. They better have that little paddle ball thing. You know what I'm saying? Or they better give me a kazoo. Or whatever that game is called with a BB in it that you have to move it around until you get into the correct location. They better give me some kind of party favor. And that's what children do, right? As adults, we kind of do the same thing. Our friend invites us to their party. And so we start thinking about the party favors. What are they going to be? And uh, maybe they change a little bit. Maybe the party favors uh, turn, uh, turn to something like this. Hey, you know I went to your birthday, right? Hey, Brian, remember I showed up to your birthday party? yeah yeah Matt. thanks for coming to my birthday party. yeah, man. I, I really appreciate you inviting me and I just don't want you to forget about the present I gave you in, the, in my attendance. was it was presence enough? present enough uh, that I was actually there? Uh, but hey, I need you to do something for me. Can, can you do this for me? That's kind of how we we act as adults with with favors. so all this, going to a friend's birthday celebrating something that they're not even actually doing, that they've not actually even done. They just lived another year. I mean, for some that's a huge accomplishment, but for most of us, uh, we have nothing to do with that anyways. And so, uh, so we have this bad attitude about celebrating someone else's birthday. Until that someone is someone that you love unconditionally and the party begins to be a little bit different until it becomes somebody that you're really familiar with or maybe you have a great relationship with. Maybe it's your mom or your dad or maybe it's uh, your, your spouse or maybe it's your child. And so the, the birthday party and the celebration becomes, becomes really different. But the, the fact of the matter is it still is someone else's birthday party. It's still not your party, and you can't cry at it if you want to. It's still not your party. It's still somebody else's party. I think many of us treat Resurrection Sunday very similarly. I think we treat Resurrection Sunday as something to be celebrated, and we've been invited to it, and we're thankful and we're grateful that we're here, and we're going to celebrate what Christ has accomplished, but at the same time we're waiting for a party favor. I mean, we're excited that he rose from the grave. Woo-hoo, right? We're excited about that. I mean, we sang some great songs, and we are excited that he rose from the grave, that he conquered what he's conquered. That he's accomplished what he's accomplished, that the work of salvation has been completed, but it's still not our party, right? It's still not our party until we recognize what's going on. When I mean, we show up on resurrection Sunday, and we're we're the same way. Hey, where's my paddle ball? Where's the little game? Where's the favors? Where's the cake? Where's the special? Uh, he rose. He has risen. Donut. Where are all these things that we really that we really long for? Hey Jesus, we kind of treat him this way. Remember back on, uh, on Resurrection Sunday when I showed up to your party and to your celebration? Hey, good job, by the way. Woohoo! you rose from the dead. Uh, hey, Jesus, so can you do these things for me? See, reality is the point of the party is not the party. The point of the celebration is not the celebration. The reason why you go to your friend's birthday party is to celebrate your friend. And the reason why we come to celebrate Resurrection Sunday is to celebrate Jesus. And every bit of our life should be about that. This morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus, everything about this celebration has changed. Your attitude towards it, you're not just showing up to Jesus' resurrection party, but instead you're showing up because He has given you life. Your attitude changes. Your outlook on tomorrow changes. All your hopes change because you realize that the party favor at Jesus' resurrection party is Jesus himself. And there is no greater gift than Jesus. Paul says it this way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works. You can't just show up to his party. We're not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We put our hope and our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're not showing up for the party favors. We're showing up to celebrate Jesus. We're not showing up because we want to at some point say, hey, I was there. But instead we say Jesus was there and that's most important. I'm kind of preaching this morning. I'm sorry. It's the Super Bowl. Yet yeah, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. This comes from Galatians chapter 2. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So just for a moment here, and I'm not trying to be mean or I'm really preaching to myself, but nothing that I do, no Sunday that I show up on or Wednesday or Sunday night or Monday morning or special secret church on a Friday night, none of those works that I accomplish amount to anything compared to what Christ has already done. And so I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I see him as the greatest gift at his own party. I'm celebrating Jesus at his party, and then like Christmas... As we're celebrating Jesus, for whatever reason, because of his grace, he returns us, he returns to us his entire life. Paul goes on to say in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 2, he says, But if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant to sin? So if we go on sinning, not recognizing what he has done for us, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not, Paul says, verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, If I'm doing the works and constructing the life, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I prove myself to be a sinner. So if I see what Christ has done, conquering death, erasing sin, and yet tomorrow or this afternoon destroy all that because of my sinful ways and then try and rebuild it all, I'm just as much of a sinner as I was before Christ saved me. For if I rebuilt what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19 says this. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. In Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what Paul is saying is the very same thing that happened to Jesus on Friday happened to you through Jesus. And the very same thing that happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, happened to you also through Jesus. So we, so we show up to Jesus' resurrection celebration party, understanding that this party is not about me. It is about Jesus and what he has done. Yet I, resting in him, clothed with his righteousness, no longer with grave clothes or funeral clothes, but instead clothed with his righteousness, I live because of what he has done. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who I loved, who loved me, and gave himself for me. So in this, we recognize that if we were to be invited to Jesus' resurrection celebration, if we were to be invited to that, and on our way to that celebration, begin thinking about the party favors, or the things that I could get in return, At some point, the Holy Spirit is going to have to come into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, and remind you that the greatest party favor you could ever receive is Jesus himself. That the greatest gift at the resurrection celebration is the fact that he gave his grace to us in the form of his son and all that he has accomplished. And so I no longer live, but instead Christ lives in me. I was crucified with Christ. My old life is dead, buried. And so now I'm celebrating my new life in Jesus. Because reality is this. The next time your friend invites you to their birthday party, you should say this. Is your mom going to be there? Because she's the real MVP. She's the one who gave birth to you. So will your mom be there? Because at your birthday, you had nothing to do with it. Instead, I would like to celebrate the completed work of your mother and celebrate her for the work that she has done. And the same with the Resurrection Sunday. We don't celebrate ourselves or the cool pink shirts we have, right, Riley? But instead, we celebrate Jesus because of what he has done, because of what he's going to do tomorrow. And for the rest of eternity, we celebrate him. He's the one who's done the real work, and so we celebrate him and him alone. So we'll finish this morning by reading together a crazy chapter in the Bible, Zechariah chapter 14. So turn there, Zechariah chapter 14. It's one of the last books in the Old Testament. So if you find Psalms, keep going towards the New Testament. If you find Matthew, you've gone too far, so go back. And we'll read together Zechariah chapter 14. We've been studying Zechariah 14 for uh, some weeks now, uh, learning about these major themes that Zechariah points out. Uh, Even though we call him a minor prophet, he's full of these major themes. And we get to the end of Zechariah, this prophecy from God, these words spoken to or given to Zechariah so that he can tell the people of God what the Lord is going to do. Mostly it has to do with rebuilding the temple. The temple had been destroyed. All these uh, people of God had been exiled or cast away from Jerusalem. And so by decree of the Lord and uh, the governor of that time, uh, the Jews were able to move back, or the people of God were able to move back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. And so Zechariah lives during that time, and the Lord gave him instruction, hey, remind the people of God to continue rebuilding the temple. Get it rebuilt. Rebuild what has been torn I hope you're catching some of the themes this morning already. Hey, people of God, we want you to rebuild what has already been torn down. But the crazy thing is, it ends with this message in Zechariah 14. All this work, all these uh, instructions about rebuilding the temple, and then we find out that the point of Zechariah isn't really the temple building at all. It's the person the coming Messiah. In fact, the whole point of Zechariah is not the temple building, but instead the temple Jesus. That the people would recognize... But instead of whining and saying through Zechariah 14, all this persecution, all this destruction, all this fire, all this loss of hope, but we, but we had the temple, Lord. Come on, you told us to rebuild it. We had this building, and the Lord would speak to them and say, "Yeah, you had the building, but you didn't have the Messiah. You didn't have Jesus, and He is." The one thing that you desperately, desperately need. Think about yourself in the most sorrowful days. The most sorrowful, grieving days that you've ever had. Did you long just to go to a building? Thinking that at some point when you walk into that building, all sorrow is going to go away? No, you longed for a person. You longed for someone to come in and rescue. Someone to say the right things. Someone to do the right things. To bring you out of the pit of sorrow. Think about the identity crisis that we're all in. The longing to be known for something or, or someone, what we want someone to know is something that we're not yet. This identity crisis that we have. If I just had this decree or this hairstyle, if my kids just acted this way, or some of you maybe are like me, if I could still eat donuts and have perfect abs. You know, these types of things. If I had that job or that award, if I had that respect from that particular person, if I had all these things, a record-setting elk, then I would have peace. Then my identity would be complete. The people of God in the Old Testament are suffering through the same thing. If we just had the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, we would be a people again. We would be, we would have an identity again. And the Lord's saying, you can rebuild the temple. I'm giving you instruction to do that. But if you don't see that I'm your greatest treasure and find your identity in me, All those things will be destroyed and you'll be standing there saying, but we had the temple and you'll hear my words resonate throughout your mind, but you didn't have Jesus. Maybe you're just burdened down with the brokenness of this world. Will the temple fix that? Will a building correct that? Will peace come from that? No, peace only comes from Jesus. Or maybe, maybe the opposite is, is happening this morning. Maybe you're living the blessed life. The one full of earthly things. And you keep going to the temple with the hope that at some point those things will not be taken away. I'm going to go to the temple and pray and I'm going to um, do the right religious things so that I continue to receive the party favors that I desire. Will the temple, will those religious works continue to give you the things that you think you need? Will you have peace with God and peace in this broken world as an outcome if those are the works that you're trying to complete? And so Zechariah 14 is a summary of that. It's a summary of, hey, yes, you have the temple, but you don't have the Messiah. Yes, you have all these things, but I'm going to remove them from you because you've made them into idols. So I'm going to remove them. I'm going to cast that end of of chapter 13 says, I'm going to bring a refiner's fire so that I uh, burn all those things away so that you will see that the greatest gift is the coming Messiah. Can I just say we sang just a moment ago, like the second coming of Jesus will be even more glorious because all the things that we've hoped in, the things unseen that we've been hoping in, we will finally see in, the, in all the glory of Jesus. And we will say, man, I was longing for a date or a time or a place or a trumpet, but now I see the glory of Jesus. So let all my hope and my, glo- and, and my, uh, my desires be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Zechariah 14, starting in verse 1, says this, Some harsh words. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. Here's that statement. So I had all these things. I had all these things. I had this temple. The spoil from you will be divided in your midst. How many of you have ever said, I better enjoy these things while they last? I better enjoy this while they last because at some point it's going to be taken away. Some of you even treat your relationship with Christ that way. I better enjoy all these earthly, all these earthly things because at some point they're going to be removed. Instead of saying, I should enjoy the Messiah and the coming Messiah. I should not let him be my own treasure. Verse 2 says this, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women were raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is some harsh words, things that are about to But we have the temple. Can you hear this ringing out? But we have the temple, and all these things are still going to happen. Verse 3, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Notice who's acting here. We had all these things. They've been taken away. And then the Lord's going to come in and rescue. He's going to fight the battle. On that day, verse 4 says, His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach the Zal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. What are you focusing on that moment? When you hear the day, there will be a day, these things may happen. What, in that sorrowful, grieving, fearful moment, where should your attention turn? To the one who's going to fight the battle. To the one who's going to stand. To the one thing that will not be destroyed. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. The point of that little section is the coming Messiah, putting our hope in the Lord my God. Verse six, on that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. Who will be this light? David says it in Psalm twenty seven, the Lord is the the Lord is my light and my salvation. We're recognizing that He is the light. Revelation talks about that in the in paradise or in the perfect place in heaven, there will be no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus will be the light. Thank you. Verse 8 On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern eastern sea, and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. This flowing, living water. Who is the flowing, living water? Jesus. Verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one, and his name will be one. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this, that there will be a day that everyone on earth, above the earth, under the earth, will recognize that Jesus is Lord. That he will be over all, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one, and his name will be one. Who's the subject of that verse? Jesus, the coming Messiah. Verse 10. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, uh, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanal, and to the king's winepress. It, it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Who's going to... Place that security around that place. The Lord is. He's the one that's acting. It ain't your car's garage. It's the Lord who brings security. It's not your bank account. It's the Lord who brings security. It's not the temple built, rebuilt, destroyed. It's not that. It is Jesus who does all those things. Verse 12. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot, and their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. This sounds terrible. No one wants to be a part of this. The boys and I were hiking yesterday, and we came up on a rotted, empty cow. And we made the comment, that is a holy cow, full of holes. It was rotted. Not a sight to see. Who is going to bring that back to life? Who has the power over that? Only Jesus. Verse 13, and on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them. Notice who's bring, bringing the panic. It's from the Lord. So that each will seize the hand of one another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. There will be this time of persecution, this refining, even though it's not by fire, this refining by persecution. Even Judah will fight against uh, at, at Jerusalem and the wealth of the, all the surrounding nations shall be collected gold, silver, and garments in great abundance and a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses the mules, the camels, the donkeys and whatever beast may be in those camps everyone everything will fall under to the subjection of this plague no, no thing will be able to hide from the Lord nothing, no person no thing, no animal Nothing, no created thing will be able to hide from the Lord. And so a great panic will be placed upon the world. Verse 16, Then everyone who survives all of the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of her hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. You know what's happening here? After all this panic, after all this fear, after all this destruction people will recognize that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped and that nothing else is worthy to be worshipped. Only Jesus. And year after year after year after year for eternity, people will recognize that He is worthy. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves... Then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. Think about this. There will be no rain, which means there's a serious drought, which means that nothing is growing, which means that nothing is living. There is no flowing fountain of living water in this place. Instead, there is no rain. There is no water. It's desolate. It's separated from life. Separated from the Lord. Why? Because they don't choose to worship the Lord. Instead, they worship themselves, or they worship things of this world. They're not longing for Jesus to be their treasure. They're longing for things of this world to be their treasure. And then probably the most Most eye-opening verses of all of Zechariah happen here at the end, verses 20 and 21. And on that day, can I just say a little side note? I know many of us want to know when that day is. We long for that. But can I say this? Just like you have a birth date that you mark on a calendar and you can't wait for it to, to arrive, you don't want people to worship the birth date. You want them, bear with me, You want them on your birthday to worship you. The coming of the Messiah is not that we would worship the day, instead that we would worship who is Lord over the day. And who is Lord over the day is Jesus. So we long for this day to happen so that we can see Jesus in all his glory. Not just that we can sing and celebrate the unseen thing of, the risen, of Him rising from the grave, but that we can see in totality of who He is, that He is the greatest treasure. And on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horse's bridles. What shall be inscribed on these horse's bridles? Holy to the Lord. And on the pots in the house of the Lord, those pots, those regular Tupperware things that you have in your house, Even those Tupperware pots shall be as the bowls before the altar. Recognize this. Please recognize this this morning. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. I belong to him. He is Lord over my life. He is Lord over everything, but for sure in confidence, I know he is Lord over my life. I belong to him inscribed on me is Lord. He is Lord of me. Inscribed on me also, not because of anything that I have done, any of my works, but because of the completed work of Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says that in Christ there is no more, there is no longer any condemnation. And so because of that, because of the completed work of of Jesus, inscribed on me, and many of you in this room this morning, is the inscription, Holy to the Lord not that you made yourself holy but that Jesus made yourself holy how are those bells and the bridles of the horses made holy because of who is the Lord how are those Tupperware pots in a regular home of a regular family not a priestly family not not holy pots at the altar in the temple but just regular old microwavable Tupperware pots how are those made holy Through Jesus. And every pot, verse 21 says this, And every pot in Jerusalem, and Judah, shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all whose sacrifice may come in and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them, and there shall no longer be a traitor or a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Those who rebel, those who are not belonging to the Lord, they will no longer be in this place. Instead, it will be all of those who belong to the Lord through the Lord, through His completed work, through Jesus. Can I just say to you this morning, you can be holy, not by any acts that you do. You cannot put enough hand sanitizer on your hands to make you clean enough and pure enough to be in the presence of the Lord. But thanks be to God that what happened on Friday, Saturday, and what happened on Sunday that we celebrate today, you can be holy because of the completed work of Jesus. His blood can remove your sin. His conquering of the grave can give you life and life eternal. And because of His righteousness, you can also be clothed with His righteousness and be inscribed on you. Holy to the Lord. So believer this morning, person belonging to the Lord, Christian, saint, whatever you want to call yourself, one who has been redeemed by Jesus, covered by the blood, you are an ambassador for Christ. Every day of your life, you are celebrating the risen Savior inscribed on your life, holy to the Lord. Not just because you came to a great service this morning that makes you holy for tomorrow, but instead because of the completed work of Christ, you are holy forever because of Jesus. This morning, if you've not, if you've not received salvation, If the blood of Jesus has not covered your sins, and don't wait any longer, I want to pray that panic would be over your life, that fear of the Lord would be over your life, so that you would say, Christ is it. Today is His day, and guess what? Tomorrow is His day. Yesterday was His day. For eternity will be His day. And so we celebrate His completed work. We celebrate Him making us holy. Holy forever. Nothing removing us can remove us from His presence. We trust in His completed work. But if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too will be found to be sinners. Is Christ in a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what, what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law, I died to the law, through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the completed work of Jesus. Thank you that we can celebrate, celebrate probably the greatest day in the history of the world. The day that death has conquered Sin is removed. Satan no longer has a grip. We can celebrate a work that we have nothing to do with. And yet, because of this completed work, we have all hope. God, help us to treasure your presence. Help us to treasure you. God, for those of us who belong to you, Walking out of here sent by you as your ambassadors. Let us be mindful that we have been made holy by you. And so because of that we are holy to the Lord. And we belong to you. God if if you can use. Bells and the bridles of horses. And regular pots from, from regular homes. We see that you can use us for your glory. So God as you send us out. Let us see the hope that we have in you and so represent you and you alone and God for the for the person in this room this morning like you have said about a great panic for the person who is fearful of tomorrow fearful of the rest of the day for the person who is looking towards buildings or things for security for hope for peace I'll let that person this morning be settled and confident in the Savior Jesus that we are so hopeful hopeful that you still reign that you're still king that as you rose from the dead you are still not dead help us respond to you this morning in a way that gives you glory